0: All right, what's going on, everybody? For Crypto Current, I am Stephen Miller, and you're watching The Aftershock, our weekly show where we connect you with what's going on in the world of Web3. And as with every Wednesday here on the show, I'm joined by my co-host, the one and only Richard Carthon. Richard, how are you today?
1: What's up, everybody? Doing all right. Uh, the end of last week was a little tough. We saw a pretty significant pullback in the market. We got Bitcoin going back low, 19000 Ethereum going back low Um, So some blood in the water. But kind of like we've been discussing over the last several weeks, um, I I think we had another major pullback in the cards before we really saw our next run up. And this might be this moment. Um, time will tell, but uh, we will see. But otherwise, how are you doing?
0: I gotta tell you, dude, I think that everything that you and I have been talking about over the last four or five weeks of episodes is kind of coming to fruition right now. You look back and you'll notice that we've talked a lot about we don't think the bottom is necessarily in. We see some consolidation coming. We see the Fed making statements randomly that will send the market downward. Um, It's just kind of coming to a head. So a lot of other people in the market right now are speculating that we're going to see the true bottom of this market in Q4, which I kind of buy into just based on the way that people have been operating over the course of the last few weeks and months. But I think that Jackson Hole and everything that happened with the Fed there is definitely an indicator that we have a little bit more um, downward momentum to deal with before it's all said and done. But for those of you that are at home that are joining us for the very first time, we appreciate you taking the time to check out the Aftershock. We do this show every single week in the middle of the week on Wednesdays to get you caught up on last week's quick review of the news. But we also offer an interview series every Monday that where Richard and I sit down with different guests um, from around the entire crypto industry so we can connect you with the thought leaders that are shaping its future. On Thursdays, though, you can always tune into our non-fungible Thursdays over on Twitter Spaces. It's an hour-long um, show that I host from 7 p.m. Eastern Time to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Certainly hope that you'll come and join us there. But with all of the housekeeping out of the way, why don't we dive into this week's Aftershock? The aftershock. So in the Aftershock this week, we've got, again, two segments for you, our lightning round and last week in the metaverse. At the top of the lightning round, we want to give you a quick update on a story we talked about last week. And that was, of course, BitBoy Crypto's lawsuit against Atozi, another crypto YouTuber. Um, this was a very interesting developing story in the middle part of the week, Rich. Um, I know that I called you as soon as the news broke but bitboy officially mm-hmm. dropped the lawsuit within a week. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and I guess why it's so I guess significant?
1: It's interesting because he he dropped the lawsuit and then he also tried to make the claim that the point was never to like make this become like a whole thing or to bring a, a ton of attention to it, which come on. Uh but What's even wilder is that, you know, he was originally the guy who was was suing uh, Tozi was only trying to raise, you know, a a few thousand dollars, uh, tens of thousand dollars. Dude raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. One guy gave him over a hundred thousand dollars to go towards the suit. So it it shows the amount of people ready to rally around and show, um, unfortunately, the amount of times that uh, there has been information that has come out of both sides of the mouth. So uh, it it just comes full circle. Uh, I don't know that we spent a lot of time on this, but it's very interesting that you go to sue somebody and then to also uh, unsue or decide not to move forward with it basically after they come together and the community rallies around why you shouldn't do that.
0: So basically BitBoy didn't take accountability for the entire thing. He just said like, well, we wouldn't have done it if we... if we knew we were going to get caught. But all lawsuits are in the public record, which is insane to me. But beyond that, um, there was actually another wrinkle in this case. And it was the fact that after BitBoy came out and said that they were going to cancel you know, moving forward with the case, his lawyers actually filed a return of service, which establishes the date on which an answer must be filed by the counterparty. Basically, that's the opposite of dismissing it. It means that they're doubling down. So either in this case Bitboy lied or his lawyers just weren't listening to him straight away. Um so I mean essentially like there's a lot of people that were thinking like maybe this is just their way of dissuading um Atozi from like raising further public funds, but Kobe Capital, which is another influencer on Twitter, um was the one that originally like committed 100k to Atozi's defense. <laughs> And after that news came out, he actually committed another 100K. <laughs> oh
1: my so, gosh.
0: So, like, it's, it really is kind of insane. I'm pretty sure that, like, this actually is, you know, done with now. I think that it is behind us. It is actually been dismissed. Like, they're not moving forward with it. But if again, in another week, we find out that, nope, they're really going forward, then we'll absolutely continue to report on this story because, um, I didn't think that we would be reporting on it in the first place, but just because of the drama behind it, we've, I feel like we have to keep people posted on it because now it's turning into a much bigger deal. So I'm curious if um, Richard, you have any other opinion on it. Should we even continue going through this um, and, and featuring it on the show or is this just something that we need to leave you know dead in the
1: water? I think we really put a, put a fork in it and keep it pushing. This whole thing is just wild and uh, it, it, it got brought to the public. So therefore we're recovering it, but uh, I I'm ready to move past this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the entire industry is probably ready to move past it too. So let's go ahead and do them a service and move forward. Um, our next story comes from Tether. That is, of course, USDT. They've announced they're pushing back a deadline um, for its upcoming reserve audit. They're supposed to be doing this, I believe, quarterly or biannually where they do a full audit of their reserve holdings. So this is like all the cash that backs up, you know, the amount of USDT that's out in the market and other assets that they say backs up the value. So that can be stock holdings, bonds, any other thing of value that they can back up to their USD circulating supply. Are you concerned about this?
1: Ooh, yes. Um, why are you pushing it back? you had plenty of time to get this done. There's I mean there's already been several concerns driven around USDT and really being able to show an audit of do you actually have all the money that you're trying to have a 1 to 1 uh stable coin parity for and it's uh it's probably not good that they're pushing this back so
0: yeah, I'm personally of the mind that this is further evidence of the fact that they don't have what they need to back it up. I think they're trying to do something behind the scenes to make sure that their finances are a lot closer. But if they can't get this right, you can probably bet that we're going to end up down the pathway of a singular um, you know, stablecoin offering probably in that of USDC in the future. Uh, there's a lot of people that would Personally, prefer that, but um, I'm curious to see how this one develops, Rich. And I hope they they resolve it. But otherwise, for right now, it's not a good look. Let's move into our third story. So the SEC has officially announced they're delaying VINX X third spot Bitcoin ETF application. It's like what else is new? They, the SEC is so arbitrarily making decisions these days. It, I'm shocked that they have not gotten any type of you know slap from the government or from, you know, lawmakers on Capitol Hill. But dude, they just, they keep doing it. There's no reason they should be continuing to, you know, push off spot Bitcoin ETFs at this point. So I'm curious, like, why do you think that we're continuing down this path?
1: Um, we're getting close to midterms and they're probably just saying, look, we're going to kick this can down the road until after we see what happens there and then see what happens. Like that's the only logical thing are one of the few logical things I can think through, uh, other than there's, like you said, not a whole lot of reason why they keep pushing it. There's, There's really not a reason. There's
0: actually something that came out over the weekend, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was that made the statement, but it was somebody at the SEC making a claim that one of the most decentralized token offerings on the market was actually a security. And it very, very clearly in the face of the Howey test was not a security. Like they did the decentralized offering they, um, the way that it needed to. It did not go out to private holders or like, you know, private sales. It was 100% out to the open market um, in a way that makes it not a security. So I think the SEC is just still vying for as much control as possible in their battle against CFTC for control of crypto. But it's just going to get gross across like the next six months because I think that a lot of people are going to be using this in their campaign statements and trying to make it a part of um, the political um, talking points for this election. So it sucks, but let's go ahead and carry this thing forward. You've got Binance and FTX process last week, both putting in pretty significant bids, buying to acquire Voyager Digital's assets. As you may know, we spoke about this a couple of weeks back, Voyager Digital is officially screwed. They went bankrupt. They don't have the ability to um, pay back their loans. They're toast. But they still have a ton of assets on hand and I think that Binance and FTX right now both see the big benefit of, whole, of trying to accrue those assets at a discount as compared to just going out on the open market and buying them themselves. Do you have anything that you know the modern
1: consumer needs to be thinking about as it relates to this story? So for your everyday consumer, not as much. It's just a reminder that these larger companies are trying to get as much land grab as possible. And the more that they're able to take advantage of these kind of opportunities, the larger they're going to be. And they're going to be potentially the ones that survive through these bear markets and everything else. I mean, Binance pockets are deep, FTX pockets are deep. Um, I think uh I think Coinbase was in the running of doing this and they recently backed out and said they weren't gonna move forward, but it just having the amount of liquidity to be able to go and get these discounted cryptos that you're basically getting on a fire sale. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it why wouldn't you go do it? So, the, the the real reason that we want to 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 bring this out was to show you how these larger companies, the ones that are making these types of plays now, on the lookout for them because in the future, when you're like, oh my gosh, how did they get this big? How did they have all these different things? It's because they're getting these discounted assets so cheaply now that they can keep just spiraling up faster.
0: I think the one thing that consumers should be keeping in mind here is that, yeah, it's a bear market. Yeah, dollars are tight. You know, people are all budgeting you know, based on their own individual situation. And nothing that you hear on this show is ever anything more than financial opinion. We're not here to give you financial advice. We're here to keep you informed. And as it relates to this story, you need to remember that we're in a bear market. But that doesn't mean that, you know, companies have completely stopped spending and that investors have stopped investing. The smart ones are right now trying to buy the dip in the most significant way possible. And that's by accruing assets, basically in like a dollar cost average style you know throughout the bear market so that they can continue to lower their principal so that when the market does return to a bull market they will have made a ton of money on those assets and their investments i personally am very much so planning on making a considerable number of buys later on this year because as i said at the top of the show i believe firmly that q4 we're going to be starting to key, like really key in on the actual bottom of this current bear market so, I would be looking at it from that perspective and look at it as not advice, but almost some, some type of minor guidance that DCAing is a really, really strong method to take on while we're in a bear market. So, let's go ahead and move into our final story of the Web3 Lightning Round. And that comes from ecosystem player Avalanche. So, Avalanche's CEO slammed a, a group called CryptoLeaks that issued a report claiming they were filing lawsuits against their competitors in the interest of bolstering their market share. I don't know how to read this story. And I'm just going to be completely honest about that, Richard. Like I think that this is the proper PR response from a company CEO. But I don't know if them slamming back against it actually devalidates what CryptoLeaks got a hold of. How do you feel about it?
1: yeah um if there's lawsuits and it's well i don't know if it's public record if they're technically leaking the information like yeah the ceo should get in front of it and say what they need to say but like if if what they uncovered was was true then you really can't defend that (laughs) that's not like the best way to be trying to approach it right so yeah uh it's it's not a good look
0: It's tricky though, right? Because I think that you all should know by now that Avalanche is becoming one of the preferred ecosystem plays of the real crypto OGs, right? A lot of crypto OGs love Avalanche. They 100% buy into it, they invest in the DeFi platforms over there, they support it. And they're not like all of these different ecosystems, I truly believe, are not above like some shady tactics in terms of winning over market share. But I don't know if this actually like is real. And it's why like I have to remind people about WikiLeaks, right? Not everything that came through WikiLeaks was real, right? They had to do a considerable amount of vetting. And if I know anything about media out in Web3 is they typically run a story before they actually fully review it. And that sucks. Yeah. Right. That's that's a really unfortunate thing because we just we want to be ahead of the beat. We always want to be ahead of the beat. We want to be able to get the thing out, be the first one to market with it. Um, just like, you know, with some people at home who would like to, you know, be the first commenter under a video once it posts on YouTube. Right. It's my little plug to make right. sure that people know we're over on YouTube. Feel free to go comment. But people really do want to be first to market with it. So they end up sacrificing the validity of the story to just being first. So right now, I tend to believe the CEO of Ava Labs, which is the company that develops Avalanche, just because it seems to me that he has a lot more to lose by being wrong than he has from like crypto leaks being right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So again it's, his, it's again, his from
1: from his his from, right from his reputation standpoint and from his vantage point he he did what was necessary but uh again if if what is reported is is correct then whatever statement he has to say kind of doesn't matter because it's still messed up Yeah well look
0: we'll keep you posted on it and we will of course jump into the next part of our show, which is last week in the metaverse. So these are all of your NFT and metaverse related stories. And the first one at the top can oftentimes be interpreted as a FUD piece. And Richard, I know that you and I discussed this before the show. We do not want this to be seen as a FUD piece. We just want it to be seen as a fact piece. Um, we were reviewing data. And as we look back at May, just 90 days ago, we saw um, OpenSea at an all-time high in terms of sales volume. And now, 90 days later, we're looking at it at 99% of its all-time high um, in terms of current sales volume. It's concerning, but I don't think that it's the end of the world. Can you give me your perspective on this? Because again, I don't want people at home to overread into it.
1: So during all of the bearish momentum that was happening in the market, we saw a slight glimmer of hope in the nft market where you saw all of these sales starting to happen and now that we're kind of looking at it it would probably happen in those moments where people were trying to get liquidity and people were like great i'm going to snatch up as much as possible and so um in the month of may the the highest day i think it was like close to 400 million plus uh in in volume and that's in one day that's in one day now it's uh, averaging somewhere near 5 million, um, which, you know, uh, 99% deduction is pretty significant. But the reason why we don't want this to be a FUD piece is to say that even though the amount of money being spent each day is uh, significantly less, it doesn't mean that you're still not seeing historic things happen in NFT markets. I mean, just recently, a Pudgy Penguin sold for 400 ETH. Like, what? I mean, how, you have a lot of projects that are still having significant success in a lot of different ways. But what you're not seeing is the vast majority having those pockets, right? You're you're starting to see a, a shrink of, let's call it, instead of 100% of the market, uh, you have like a lot of bullish momentum. Now you're only really seeing those bullish moments happen in like, let's call it 3 to 5% of the entire NFT market. So uh, the idea is that now is a really cool opportunity to find some either some blue chip NFT projects or some up and comers so that once we get on the other side of this, you can get in early. Um, but the, the point is when you see that sort of type of retracement in a market, that means that there's some opportunities out there. And that's where we want to present this as not as a fear and that, oh my gosh, we're going to fall off a cliff and it's going to keep falling down. It's, we're probably getting close to the bottom. I mean, 99%, that's a pretty, I can't get a whole lot lower than there, right? So here are the times to be looking for opportunities.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think that as I look across the market, like there's still a lot of encouraging reasons to be looking at NFTs, especially because to me, I still believe that it is going to be the onboarding method for, that will lead to the greatest degree of mass adoption that we've seen. Um, I f- I firmly stand by that statement. I will not back off of it. And the biggest example that I saw in the last week was a project called Digidaiku, I think is what it was called. They did a fundraise literally right out the gate. Like They just did their drop. It was a free mint. And they secured $200 million in funding. So like, you cannot yes. convince me that the NFT market is toast. It was a bubble. It's popped. It's not the case. It's just that when the bear market takes a hold, people don't want to just go buy stuff. And I think that there, there's still a lot of criticism around OpenSea, LooksRare, X2, Y2, and the other big NFT marketplaces, because there's still a lot that is yet to be told about wash trading. How much of this is just, you know, projects that are using bots to generate sales volume to make their project look good, right? Bits and pieces of that are scattered across the market right now. But when you look at big stories like like Digidaiku, like, There's a lot of really interesting reasons why they're raising that money, why they can attract that type of attention. It's legitimate. You've got other projects that are building really, really big content ecosystems. Cool Cats just made a huge announcement about a comic. You have Doodles that are moving out. Doodles too in like, I think the next month. So there's no shortage of really big pieces of news. Oh, and not to mention Moonbirds. Future Proof, I believe, is next week. So you've got some of the biggest announcements that are still yet to come and a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the background. Just because there isn't volume doesn't mean that you shouldn't be looking at it and trying to stay informed. So I'm going to leave it at that for this um, story so we can jump into the next one. By far and away, like not even close, Richard, this was... Probably my personal favorite story of the last week because there were so many people that were affected by these recent Twitter and Discord hacks that took millions out of the market, millions scammed away. And nobody knew, nobody, how they were actually perpetrated because they technically, every single one of these hacks, they circumvented two-factor authentication, which you're not supposed to be able to do. So as the story goes, across the last couple of months, you had players like Beeple, Zeneca, um, you had DK Motion. All of these big-time influencers, artists, and um, thought leaders in the space were getting hit with these massive Twitter hacks. And they would eventually push out a link. It would be a um, false minting page or a project that was announced as a stealth mint. No project does stealth mint. Always watch out for that. But this link got pushed out. People were affected by it. They went and thought, oh, this is a huge opportunity. I got to go mint this. And their wallets were swept away. Or they just had a bunch of money pulled out of their wallets and that was it. A scam nonetheless. And it really is painful as a consumer to go through something like that. But nobody knew how it happened. Nobody knew how they got a hold of these Twitter accounts. But Zach XBT over on Twitter... Who is a big-time blockchain investigator? Shared a big expose on these recent breaches and found that all of the evidence pointed to one person, a literal kid, by the name of Cameron Redmond. Cameron Redmond, if you are not familiar, he was a um, he's a Canadian citizen who, I believe, hacked something to the tune of like ninety million dollars. Off of a big time Bitcoin whale um, in both Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. So, combination $90 million. He got arrested and tried as a miner, put away for like a year and a half. They were only able to recover like a fifth of the money. Okay. The rest of it's still out there. Zach XBT was able to not just. Like go through this entire investigation. But he was able to map the actual movement of all that Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. He showed that online. But he also went further in showing exactly how he believes that Cameron Redmond is the one that's behind these recent Twitter breaches by mapping every single transaction that was associated with them. So he had a piece of technology called a Twitter panel. And that allowed him to basically go behind the scenes and make certain admin tweaks as if he were um a Twitter employee. These things do exist out there. It's not, you know, unknown or unheard of. A lot of Twitter consulting firms have them. So that's the current theory around what how it all went down. But he actually went further to show exactly, you know, where Cameron was at the time of these hacks and really validate that it very easily could have been Cameron Redmond. We do not know if he's been detained yet. We do not know if there's been legal action taken against him yet but all of the information is out there now. So, with that entire story now said as quickly as I possibly could. Richard, how do we go how do we go forward from here? Is it just by educating people on what to look out for?
1: I think we just keep an eye on this. It's it's a wild story and it's interesting that you have someone that isn't the authorities that was tenacious enough to go through each of these transactions like it's a lot like that is that is very time consuming and thorough to try to get to the bottom of this and it also just goes to show because blockchain is on a digital ledger that is open for the world to see if someone has the time the energy and the want to They can discover this stuff. This is giving true power to the people. You know, Before, when you had to do investigations and everything else, you have to do a deep dive. You have to go in and interview people. You have to go do all of this stuff, trying to pull information. But when all of this stuff is virtually available, if you peel back enough layers, you can really start to uncover some stuff. But you really got to want to. And this is just another example of someone who, at the time, was like, I'm going to figure this out. And... Now there's enough information that the authorities and whomever can do something about it. And I think that's powerful.
0: I love that the ledger itself is immutable and that we can track all this stuff. But I really do think this is the biggest takeaway that you can have from this is like, you need to constantly be educating yourself about what to look out for when it comes to scams. So we're going to continue to try and point out those things to you so that you can stay safe in web three Uh, But we will keep an eye on this story as it develops because, again, I want to know whether or not they bring this kid in and try him as an adult finally. Uh, Because I'm not sure, based on his digital complexity and the way that his signature looks online, whether or not they're really going to be able to recover any of that money. It doesn't seem like it to me. So we'll watch it pretty closely and keep you posted on it. Let's jump into this next story. Um, Richard, did you watch the VMAs on, I believe it was Sunday night?
1: I did not watch them, but I've seen pretty much all the reruns via Instagram.
0: <laughs> so everybody is still talking, and it's midweek by now, about Snoop Dogg and Eminem performing at the VMAs using their Board API Club avatars. I think that this is probably going to be one of the big watershed moments for bringing NFTs in front of Gen Z and what are they calling now? Gen Alpha? or something no dumb no. yeah so like the the kids like today's kids <laughs> i think that's like this is going to be a big moment for them because this is the first time they're like holy crap like what is this like and they're gonna start doing research and learning about nfts so i think it's really cool i think it's a big pop culture moment in history and we're gonna remember it um but i don't know if there's any more impact to it than that what do you think
1: it's just one of those historic moments. There's been a lot of historic moments on the the VMAs uh, and, and, and other awards. Like, you know, you have those moments in time where uh, like, for example, the first time Michael Jackson did Moonwalk uh, when uh, Katy Perry brought the backpack kid and did the historic move that now every kid and their mother knows how to do. This is another one of those moments where people stop and are like, huh, you have two of the most prominent rappers out there who are now part of this NFT, now have board Apes and understand what this is and then also did a whole performance in the metaverse, like it it, it became real last night. So this could be that moment of people now were, are, are trying to follow pop culture into what's to come. Pop culture is usually the, the thing that is the leading indicator of, of what's to come. And last night could have been that moment of showing like, hey, this is where the future is headed. Yeah, I... I laugh because I
0: I want to believe that the VMAs matter, right? I, I really do. And I know that like it traditionally has like better viewership than most other award shows. But this is really, if you want to break it down, right? This is what people at the Super Bowl last year were hoping to see. Yeah. Call it what it is, right? Like this is what they were hoping was going to happen at the Super Bowl halftime show. And it didn't. And that's okay. Um, it's going to be a gradual process. There's nothing to say that next year's Super Bowl won't feature Moonbirds. Start the speculation now. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's really funny. Um, I'm glad to see that it happened, uh, but I hope that we start seeing more play out of it. It'll be a lot of fun to see more IP utilized in that way. Speaking yeah. of meaningful IP, let's jump into the next story. SimCity. Richard, did you play this at all as a kid?
1: Uh, very briefly, but uh, very familiar.
0: Okay. I'm pretty sure that there is no millennial that like can say that they don't know what this is, unless they're like Amish millennials. Because truth be told, everyone I know knows something about SimCity, or they know about The Sims. But SimCity was one of my personal favorite games growing up. And I think a lot of people, especially in the architecture world and people who like, like design... Probably started finding some of their roots in design with SimCity because it was the first time that you could truly like plan out and build out a big city. Really cool, like simulator online and even, you know, just on your PC back when you didn't have online gaming. Holy crap, I'm dating myself. But the guy behind SimCity, the original designer, Will Wright, just announced that he's raised $6 million to fund SimCity's Web3 expansion. I am not only shocked by this because I didn't think that like they were still deploying SimCity, but this could mean really big stuff for the metaverse, especially if SimCity's tech and the builder can be utilized in a really um, user-friendly manner across different ecosystems. Think about that for a second. I think up until this point, like you had to be a really, really complex and well-educated 3D modeler to implement any type of metaverse tech. If you had SimCity's UI baked into any of these metaverses, it would be so freaking easy to just design your metaverse of choice. Uh, How do you think this is going to go?
1: Well, I mean, you, just like you said, most millennials know what SimCity is. You're getting the lead designer of it. They basically said, hey, I'm trying to raise money because I want to go build this thing. Of course, people are going to throw money at it. And... I think there has a lot of opportunity to to try to do partnerships with it. I mean, what game designer or metaverse designer right now, if someone says like, hey, I have a lead designer from SimCity that wants to have a conversation with you. Do you want to take the call? Yeah. Yes, they are. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing but upside for this right now.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting development um, and we're going to keep an eye on it for sure. Um, I don't know if six mil is going to be enough, though. I think that's probably my biggest
1: concern here. Uh, Um, But we'll see. It's just to get the wheels running. It's all good.
0: (laughs) I I want to see them start to turn the wheels. But let's talk about the F1. So Formula One Racing just recently filed two trademarks related to both NFTs and crypto for the upcoming Las Vegas Grand Prix. Richard, I know that you and I both are probably undereducated as it relates to F1 Racing, I know you recently started to get educated about a little bit because Austin's a big F1 town. What I remember you and I learned at the very same time was that the Las Vegas Grand Prix was going to be a very big deal because they'd actually be racing on Las Vegas Boulevard. It would be a city race. I'm really curious what your thoughts are on this because I don't really personally care what the trademarks were, but this tells me that they're planning on integrating crypto and NFTs into the overall race dynamic itself.
1: Yeah. What do you think Uh, happens? From this, I mean, just the amount of people who go to F1 spend money. Let's call it what it is. People there typically have pretty big pockets. And if they're trying to find ways to have that next piece of where these different F1 uh, communities can do drops where if they own a certain NFT, they get like extra exposure uh, to meeting potentially a racer or getting like the premier seating at one of the, the stops or ex- et cetera. Any way that they can continue to monetize every single little element of F1, you best believe they're going to do it. And you best believe people are going to drop the money on it. So I think that this is going to be, once this plays out and especially man like the the vegas strip man that they're able to put like nft like ads and stuff down the boulevard while this is happening and uh people are able to put potential nft like augmented reality stuff like on different parts of it there's the limits of this are pretty limitless but i would definitely want to get more into what the, the the trademarks specifically are going and targeting after but I, this, they're going to make money. I know that much. They're going to make a good amount of money from it. Yeah,
0: I want to see what the full implementation of this looks like. But I mean, you think about the Las Vegas Strip and the amount of billboards and the amount of just ad placement space that you have and all of the cameras that are going to be constantly up and down the strip that day. It's going to be a big exposure moment. There's, there's no other way to like slice it up than that. And that's the thing that impresses me the most. Uh, But let's go ahead and dive into our final story here for last week in the metaverse. We'll keep you posted on the F1. This was weird. This was speculation off of a recent interview from um, Telegram's founder, Telegram being the big messaging app, where he was suggesting that they're thinking about moving to NFT-like smart contracts for auctioning usernames. So essentially, instead of just having a handle to use on the platform, you would have full rights to those handles and be able to have a contracted, proved ownership over that handle. And you could therefore, theoretically, um, buy, sell and trade them. For a platform that's already established, I think this is really sketch. How do you feel about it?
1: I don't like it. Like I like said, it's already established. People already have handles. And now you would be like, haha, sorry, just kidding. For the highest bidder, you can now own your handle. Like, ah, nah. I feel like it's a it's a step back. It's going to piss off a lot of people. And it's going to probably have a lot of people leave the platform if they move forward with it. And it's also going to just limit the amount of, like, good that's come from it. I, I get it. They want to monetize. They want to make more money. They want to do all this stuff. But with doing that, you also are going to lose a really core component of your the application. So I hope I really hope they don't try to turn people's handles into like an ENS. So now you're having to buy the NFT and then like now that's your handle to do conversations. And also like just to go a step further, if it does become like an ENS and every conversation is going to your NFT uh contract, does that now mean like all of your potential conversations are on the blockchain? That's creepy. Wouldn't want any part of that. Yeah, look,
0: I, I think that there's a lot of like chat reasons why I like the idea of integrating chat with like something like an ENS domain. But for a platform that's Web2 based, Web2 built and trying to figure out, OK, how do we fit into Web3? This doesn't feel like the right move, especially because to your point, like spin the wheel of isolating your user. Right, like, how do you want this thing to like turn out? And it's not your decision, so you're leaving it entirely up to how each individual user feels about this decision. And to me, like, I'm gonna say f this, and I'm gonna go right over to Signal, uh, which is one of their primary competitors. It's really, really easy for me to jump to that conclusion, but again, this is just the Telegram founder suggesting that they're like considering it. It's not like they're doing it, but it is probably bigger at least to me to sit here and acknowledge the fact that you have web2 founders with really significant platforms that have massive reach and huge user bases all working on like answering the question of how do they step forward into web3 how do they get web3 adoption and you saw also just before the um like just at the start of the week no I'm sorry the end of last week going into this week we saw um, Facebook and Instagram officially implementing NFT integration, right? They've made their play. You can see their play. It makes perfect sense. It follows the meta playbook for we own the internet. With Telegram, they're just trying to figure out, okay, do we, do we even have a, a case to be made here? Is there a play? So I don't think this is the answer for them. I hope they get more creative. Um, but do you have any final words on this one?
1: Um, Final thought is I hope they don't make you have to pay for your handle.
0: And that's the aftershock. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, look, we're going to keep you posted on a lot of this stuff going forward. But it's been a really interesting last couple of weeks in uh, crypto. And we want to make sure that above all else, you guys are staying connected to it. So please do us a favor. Make sure that you're following the show wherever you um, are on social media. You can find us on Twitter, which is probably one of our most reliable platforms, at underscore Cryptocurrent underscore. Um, I host the NF Non-Fungible Thursday show in Twitter spaces over there every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Richard has his interview shows that go out every Monday here on Cryptocurrent's YouTube and podcast uh, platforms. Richard, who do you have on the show this past Monday?
1: So this past week, we had um, Anon with Virtual. Um, really cool. So it is a... Application that you can download on your iOS or uh, Google Play, and it is a move to earn uh, Web three application. So, uh, what's different though is they have a lot of partnerships already in place. So, if you use like Strava or the um, a, a ton of like your your Apple Health app or, or other things like that, it can connect to that as well. So, it can track all of your movements. Um, throughout the day, et cetera, and you can earn these, um, the the virtual currency in, and then you can immediately use the virtual currency to buy things. For example, like um, if you want a certificate to Under Armour, you can then, you know, go get like a $25, $50, et cetera, type of voucher that you can go use in real life to pay based on all the movements that you've been doing. So it's really cool. Um, They have a lot of more uh, partnerships and and other things on the the horizon. So actually just downloaded the app today. I'm looking forward to to seeing what I can earn.
0: Definitely a space to keep an eye on. Their big competitors right now are Sweatcoin and Stepin. And I think that for what I'm seeing out of Virtual, I'm very, very interested in, in how they compete. So I will be keeping an eye on that one myself. Again, if you are new to our show, please make sure that you're following wherever you your favorite podcast subscribed over on YouTube. And you can, of course, follow Richard at Richard Carthon, or you can follow me at Steve Miller underscore PHX. This has been The Aftershock. I've been Stephen Miller. He's been Richard Carthon. And we will hopefully see you next time for another edition of The Aftershock. But until then, stay Cryptocurrent. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes.